0: From KYW News Radio, the Delaware Valley's news authority, this is Flashpoint. What's igniting debate online and in your community? I'm KYW Community Affairs reporter Cherry Gregg, and we'll run through the big issues of the week that are getting folks hot under the collar. Coming up on this podcast, the School Reform Commission votes to disband. Chair Wilkerson. Yes. Yes. Advocates from all sides weigh in on the decision. To me, do you that, feel like the SRC did
1: its job.
2: I, I believe that they did.
1: You know, we have an opportunity to do what the SRC did us. So
2: I would have preferred to eliminate the SRC next year. What
1: it means for parents, schools, and kids today
3: and long term. She was once shackled to a bed while giving birth in prison. I was accepted to NYU for film and television, and I just didn't have the funds to go. A homeless single
0: mother makes headlines as a burgeoning artist. Three ways her re-entry story is inspiring Paula Radio.com Radio.com. Welcome back to Flashpoint. I'm your host, Cherry Gregg. The focus is the death of the Philadelphia School Reform Commission. On Thursday, the SRC voted three to one with one abstention to disband. Chair Wilkerson. Yes. Advocates were gleeful Dysfunction starts with the head And today we celebrate the decapitation of this fiasco the SRC with two members appointed by the mayor and three by the governor was created 16 years ago to provide more state oversight of the financially distressed Philadelphia schools. The goal? Get more funding. But the SRC ended up closing dozens of schools, laid off thousands as the number of charter schools increased. Advocates wanted the SRC gone. Then November 1st, Mayor Jim Kenney pledged to take back Philly schools and have the city cover the predicted $1 billion deficit over the next five years. The
2: final plan we will propose to meet the district needs will be difficult.
0: If the Pennsylvania Secretary of Education signs off, the SRC will cease to exist as of June 30th, and the mayor will be tasked with appointing a non bever school board. With me in the studio to discuss this flashpoint is Bill Green, former city councilman and former SRC chair, who is the only current SRC member to vote against dissolution. We also have Sharif El-Mekki, a teacher turned administrator who is now principal of Mastery Charter School Shoemaker Campus. And on the phone, we have Councilwoman Helen Gim, a longtime community organizer and education reform advocate. Thank you all for being on Flashpoint.
4: Thanks for having me. Thank you.
0: Wonderful. So let's jump right in. I would like to get from each of you reaction. um, And I'll start with Helen. For parents and teachers, what does the end of the SRC
1: mean to you? It is the culmination of 16 years of activism that started with a state takeover and with a restoration of local control. You know, we have an opportunity to do what the SRC didn't. Uh, The SRC was never put in place uh to become a public uh vocal advocate for the public schools it was meant to be a financial manager of inequity and um we are interested now in seeing over the next few months a very public process in which people can advocate for a local school board and establish a firm commitment to public education what it's going to look like in our city um the vision for it and uh you know we have a lot of hopes through that process
0: all right. And I, and I want you, Sharif, to tell me, what do you think this means for charters long term?
4: I think, you know, when I applaud the mayor for uh, taking direct responsibility um, for the school district and the children, what I'm hoping comes out of this is, is more accountability locally. And I, I really hope that people don't fool themselves to, to make it seem that before the SRC was implemented, that things were going well for black and brown children, because that's the exact opposite was the case. So what I'm hoping is that the the city, that everyone who stood and applauded the mayor for taking responsibility. I hope that when he reveals the plan, I hope those same people that will continue to stand and provide the support, because Philadelphia does not have a legacy of yeah. supporting black and brown children.
0: Bill, I want you to weigh in. You voted against dissolution. What do you think that the if the disbandment of this will mean for the school district? First
2: of all, I do want to say that I, I am heartened by the fact that the city wants to take responsibility for the schools. Uh, I am concerned about their willingness to pay for it. I'm hopeful that council will step up and provide the funding that will be necessary to eliminate the $700 million deficit. I am skeptical, however, so I would have preferred to eliminate the SRC next year after the mayor and council did the actual hard thing, not rhetoric, but voted to increase taxes to provide the resources that we need. If the next thing that happens is in two years there's not money and the city has to start cutting or the new school board has to start cutting, I think it would it will have proven to be uh, a grave mistake.
0: The reality is that the district is predicted to see a $700 million deficit over the next five years. Council President Daryl Clark has said he's been supportive. We've heard other council members say they're being supportive. So, uh, Councilwoman Gimp, what is the temperature that you're hearing in council? Is there any plan in place? To get the money that's necessary? Yeah, I mean,
1: the city has already put in a tremendous amount of money into the school district to the point where we're paying more than 40% for the budget of the schools. It's a tremendous amount. This year alone, we refinanced um, on commercial properties, which brought in over 100 and over 100 million dollars into the city budget annually, and will result in 55 plus million dollars into the school district's budget annually. We passed a soda tax that helped fund community schools, expanded pre-K in our city. So the city is certainly coming up with ideas. That energy is not just going to be on the city just doing whatever it can. It's also got to push itself upward and out. And I think that is actually a very powerful message of the local school board that they are going. To become the advocates for a public education system that includes charters as well as public schools, and that uh, we have a lot of opportunities here to talk about restoration of the charter school reimbursement. We have an important opportunity to talk about taxation and fair yeah. taxation across the board. So these are not simply zero sum games where one entity has to bear the th- bear the burden. Of the entirety of of inequitable school funding in a state that is the worst in the nation when it comes to funding inequity. We've got a lawsuit before the state Supreme Court that's talking about funding equity. So things are moving in multiple areas that can always change uh, the nature of how these decisions get made and that's what we're counting on.
2: First of all, we did not hear any commitment from the councilwoman with respect to raising additional dollars for the school district. We Heard her look to the state and the Supreme Court, law, the lawsuit before the courts. A lawsuit, by the way, I worked on with Pilcop mm-hmm. when I was in City Council, because the state should pay its fair share and it didn't. And I agree with Helen that that you know governing is choosing between limit, uh, choosing between uh, good ideas with limited resources. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, but what the SRC was able to do is build up a surplus, um, then know we had the money to invest in education not just for one year where you spend it and then you stop the, that same investment and the progress is lost, but over a period of sustained four years. Yeah. So that is actually showing progress. And it is the fact that the SRC behaves so responsibly and have put us in this position that put the city in a position where it can literally afford to take the school district back.
0: Philadelphia won't have an elected school board. They'll have an appointed school board by the mayor. Um and he it'll be up to him to decide who gets what and how diverse it is and and how uh, the Not school board quite. is reflective and and, and yeah. there's going to be a commissioner of thirteen uh, folks are going to help him with this but I mean should there be a push for an elected school board that could actually raise taxes and buy you know bypass city council and just get the money that they
1: need for the for the school district
2: if it was that what, what say you what say you Helen
1: I've always been in on record as being in favor of an elected school board. I think that if you're going to have an election about something, make it be about positions that matter, and nothing could be more important than having a school board that's elected. That being said, though, we're not going to wait to dismantle the SRC in order to get an elected school board. Mm. And this appointment board will look dramatically different from the SRC, and it won't just actually be in the mayor's hands. You know, there will be a 13-member nominating committee. Um, There will be 20, up to 27 people uh, who will be presented um, in not just a, uh, you know, quiet, behind-back-doors kind of fashion, but who will be publicly presented to the mayor and uh, will likely be confirmed through city council. So, you know, I don't think that there's any reason why this can't be seen as a very public process and one that drives more engagement. Um, people are paying attention right now, and that's the most exciting, you know, and important thing of all. It precedes funding. It, In fact, it is the linchpin to funding. I'm
2: sure... Uh, through this process, we're going to end up with very honorable, caring people who are looking for the best interests of our children. The second half of the question, though, you asked, which wasn't answered. The funding uh, Taxing authority. Should the local school board have taxing authority? Should that be taken away from city council if they're the the people responsible? I can tell you that uh, not having had taxing authority, you have to make a lot of hard choices when the politicians won't step up and provide the funding that's needed. And I'm talking about Harrisburg mostly because Philly has stepped up in our time of of largest crisis. So you're putting a board in an impossible position of having to choose between competing ideas for good with limited resources. Instead of investing, they're not investing. And I don't think that's what people are signing up for. I don't think that's why the city took over the school district. So I'd really like to hear a commitment to providing the funding that's needed, not that we shouldn't go to the state and fight, not yeah. that we shouldn't win that lawsuit. There's no there's no Santa Claus coming. Yeah. The city's taking it over. It has to pay for
0: it. Yeah. And that's the I feel like with the school board that's elected, then you can have the tax issue. But I know that there's going to probably be pushback when the reality hits that more tax money will have to come out of the pockets of Philadelphians.
3: <laughs> it's going to hurt.
4: And not just taxes. I, I, I want this to be clear, because when this and this taxes a revenue for a stadium and things like people, people respond. You get all kind of folks that, that invest in it. When you're talking about investing in black and brown children, many of them poor, you get a visceral reaction often. And that's the, the history of our country. It's the history of our city. And Philadelphia has really, re, you know, shown, shown leadership in this regard because, you know, constitutionally, the state should be paying for an equitable and, and just education. And that has not happened. As far as the SRC managing, I was in a school when the SRC did take over. And I remember what that budget looked like. I remember the school district freezing our budgets. And there's a surplus of millions of dollars, you know, um, in multiple years at this point. So to me, that's... you feel
0: like the SRC did its job.
4: I believe that they did.
0: Is that fair, Councilwoman? That
1: do you well, feel like the SRC did? I'd be did very careful about that. The SRC had a surplus largely because there were so many teacher vacancies as well in the district. The CFO of the school district has been on record saying that the surplus is not a good surplus, but. That being said, there's a couple of things that, you know, I wanted to make sure was really clear. I'm glad Bill Green finally conceded that the city has done its fair share when the state has not. And I will do, I promise to pledge to do what he never did when he was on city council, which is vote to support funding for schools. Um, And that's an important aspect, as has, has been said before. People will support taxation as long as they believe in the thing that they are supporting. And The call to support our public schools is the conversation that will dominate the city conversation for the next several months as we seek that elected school board. And from there, we should build off of that and push for the funding that our schools both need and deserve.
4: Yeah, I I would just um, add to that. It's not just that people will invest in things that they believe mm-hmm. in. They're also more likely to invest in, in in areas where they know there's going to be a high level of accountability and responsibility. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's also um, yeah. extremely yeah. important.
0: With this new school board and, and, the, and the mayor, there won't be any, you know, major changes day to day. What do you say to parents? You know, when when will they start to see uh, the fruit Of this effort?
2: It's a very difficult question to answer because, first of all, the resources have to be there just to maintain the status quo. That costs $700 million. To make more over the next five years, to make even more investment and invest in the things that Helen and I would both agree need to be in schools, like libraries and librarians. It's going to be a long and painful process for, for everybody to get these resources. I am hopeful we win the lawsuit. I'm hopefully the General Assembly complies with the ruling.
0: Um, SRC dissolution do you see it as a win or a loss and and just final word to the parents after this as to what it means for them
4: long term I expect it to be a win I expect us to learn a lot but um, I'm really hoping that people remain committed rhetoric gets you nowhere and it does not help students achieve and I would say the same thing that I uh, told uh, told students and, and families and that they told me as well that they will remain vigilant regardless of the governance structure because at the end of the day They want to make sure that their students are, their children are able to pursue their aspirations
2: and post-secondary
0: goals. Fifteen seconds if you can. Win or loss? I wouldn't say win or
2: loss. I mean, to be honest, I, I think it was a little early, but I'm committed to doing everything in my remaining seven months on the SRC to making this transition smooth and successful, make sure institutional knowledge is not lost. Um, and, uh, and then, once I am no longer an SRC member, to continue m- my advocacy for additional funding from Harrisburg and other places for our children.
1: But you get the final word, Helen. This is clearly a win. Uh, it took a political force for the state takeover to occur 16 years ago, but it was also met with a political force of parents, students, teachers. Uh, community members who never gave up on their public schools, who demanded to have a a voice in how they would be run, and who built up a grassroots movement that changed out a state governor, um, helped run the municipal elections. And people have to remember that this work is political in the best sense of what being political means, which is that it comes out of the grassroots, that it becomes a movement not just in the moment not dependent on elections that people will push through um, and that we did it by standing together and not being divided through this. So parents had a major role to play in that. They will continue to have a voice. Um, I'll make sure that it happens and I'm looking forward to the journey ahead.
0: To uh, Councilwoman Helen Gim, to Bill Green, and to Sharif el thank you for being on Flashpoint. Thank Thank you. you.
4: Thanks for having us. (laughs)
3: Next up, from the cell block to Harvard. Three days after incarceration, I gave birth after being handcuffed to the bed for 43 hours. Three ways a homeless single mom turned college student is
0: inspiring re-entry policy makers. Radio.com. Radio. 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 Radio.com. This is Flashpoint, where we talk about the issues that get everyone hot and bothered. I'm your host, Cherry Gregg, and one issue that gets Philly residents hot under the collar is re-entry. Thousands come home from prison to roadblocks as they try to rebuild their life, but one woman, Mary Baxter, a.k.a. Isis the Savior, is making headlines. She was shackled while giving birth to her son in prison, and since her release, the college student won a $20,000 Rite of Return Fellowship. To create a musical documentary about her life. And what's more, she's now influencing policy. Mary, welcome to Flashpoint. Happy to be here. Yeah, thank you so much for coming in. I met you over the summer at the We Rise tour featuring Van Jones. And we had a chance to talk. And then I saw an article written about you. You have a very unique story. You're currently a student at the Community College of Philadelphia. Yes. And have done some amazing
3: work. But let's rewind back a little bit. Ten years ago, um, I got into some trouble with the law. Being awarded a court uh, when I turned 18, I was pretty much just thrown to the streets. Didn't really have a support system. So I got into, you know, some stuff with the wrong crowd. I was eventually arrested and sentenced to seven to 24 months in prison. Um, at that time, I was nine months pregnant. Um, three days after incarceration, I gave birth after being handcuffed to the bed for forty three hours to my son Rasir, did you think that, that anything like that was happening? I mean, wow, I, I had no idea that that happened. Um, I mean, because you have a you have a, a life in you, and the child didn't do anything wrong, so it's like, and where you gonna run, really? Right, 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 right. You know, your circulation is being cut off. You're in an immense pain. Um, some women have miscarried, you know, due to from shackling and things of that nature. So. Um, yeah, I was I was just terrified when I realized that this was a reality not only for myself but you know thousands of other women. Wow! And so I met your son.
0: Yes, cute young man. <laughs> it's my pride and joy. Yes, yeah. and and so but you since turned your your whole life around.
3: You know, when I got out, I knew that I had to live for someone you know other than myself, and he's been my main motivating force to you know just turn things around and go chase my destiny and be the example for him to give him you know, the blueprint that he can, no matter what adversity you've been through, you still can, you know, elevate yourself and move forward in society and accomplish your goals.
0: Yeah. And one of the things that I've seen you advocate for and talk about is dignity for pregnant women while incarcerated.
3: Yes. Right now, um, I've partnered with Cut50 and Van Jones for a piece of legislation that's being spearheaded by Cory Booker and Elizabeth Warren is called the Dignity for Incarcerated Women Act. And this is a piece of legislation that is um, supposed to end women from being shackled while they're pregnant. Also stop women from being placed in solitary confinement while they're pregnant. And it's another, you know, a slew of other supports, um, like have women placed near their children. Um, Don't ship them off to like far places. Also have free phone calls to the caregivers, because a lot of time women, They have to, you know, pick between getting sanitary napkins and tampons versus a phone call to their children. So they're just trying to restore that respect, that, you know, humane dignities to women in the prison system.
0: Why were you so passionate about it, given your experience?
3: It's different when you put a face to it. You know, people talk about injustices and issues all the time. But when there's a face and there's someone, you know, with that story, I think it's more powerful. So I just felt that I needed to... You know, share my story so people can, you know, be more in touch, tune with the issue. When
0: you have experiences in your life, it sort of feeds into your your form of expression.
3: My art is is definitely therapeutic. Um, I was awarded a the court from age eleven to seven, well, eighteen. Um so I've always you know been faced with adversity and obstacles and challenging situations so my music is definitely has been like my outlet. Yeah. yeah. And so
0: this fellowship that you got $20,000 right. what is it allowing you to do?
3: So um the $20,000 um 10,000 is for myself and the other 10 is for production materials and you know costs around a project. So the project that I decided to do was a Ten to thirteen minute um, music video short. I guess the closest thing to like Michael Jackson's like videos, like Thriller or Remember the Time, like those extended uh, music videos. And it's going to basically detail my life before incarceration, during, and then after. And the song is called The Corner. And I just, I just can't wait to share it. Wow. And and I'm going to be filming at Eastern State Penitentiary. So. Wow. And does it does it take you to a place? You're putting yourself back in that moment, kind of reliving that trauma. But I mean, in the end, it's for the greater good. Like you have to show people what is happening. You know, if people don't know that these are issues, then they don't know how to address them. So
0: when you look back on that time, I mean, do you think that uh, it it made you better?
3: Yes. Um, in a lot of ways, you know, um, It made me reevaluate, you know, the path that I was on. It made me, you know, reevaluate the people I had in my life, the places and things that I was into. And it definitely forced me to grow um, not only as a woman, but as a a mother. My story is a story that needs to be told as a part of his story. And that, you know, it's going to be pretty powerful once it gets out there, you know, to the masses. And
0: it's funny, I always tell people that there's a point in your life where all your experiences converge, and right. you're standing in one moment and you're like, this is why that happened, and this happened,
3: and right, that happened, right, and that right. ha-. Have you
0: had a moment like that yet?
3: Uh, it's right now, definitely. Right now, um, I'm living that, like, living in purpose. Like, I realized that everything definitely happened because it was supposed to happen to bring me to this moment. Like, so, I mean, in two weeks, I'm going to Harvard for a three day conference. Um, behind bars, and I'm going to be talking on, you know, speaking on a panel about women shackling and, you know, my experience. So, yeah. How does that make you feel, though? <laughs> I mean, North Philly to Harvard is, is, is pretty amazing, you know? It's pretty amazing. Um, that is awesome. Right. And so few people talk about women um, yes. when it comes to incarceration. We have over 200,000 women in the prison system, 1.2 million that are under, you know, some type of supervised bail or probation or parole, um, and it's jumped 700 percent since the early 80s. We had about 26,000 women in prison. Now we got, uh, you know, close to a quarter million. So so any final words you want to say? I mean, what what is your vision for yourself? Well, I'm doing a lot of other advocacy work outside of criminal justice reform right now. I'm doing work around homeless college students and getting them funding. Um, I just completed a documentary that is going to be used in lobbying, you know, um, for some funding and some laws to be changed to make higher education accessible. I mean, right now, you know, college has become a business. And, you know, if you don't have money, then you're not able to, you know, go to the best— Exactly. Mm. When I graduated the first time with an art and design degree um, from CCP, I was accepted to NYU for film and television, you know. And that's not an easy school to get into, especially from a community college. And I just didn't have the funds to go. Um, So— that's yeah. crazy. So I'm putting some. So right now I'm, I'm heavily in that sector, you know, raising awareness around those issues and just moving forward, you know. So where can people follow you and find you and try to support you in this journey called life? They can go to my website and subscribe to my mailing list, BarriersAreBuildingBlocks.com. Um, you also can find me on Facebook, uh, Mary Enoch Elizabeth Baxter, my whole government. And I'm on uh, (laughs) Instagram and YouTube under my rap name, Isis the Savior.
0: Isis the Savior. I like that. That's really dope. So do you want to close us out with like a bar or
3: two of some of your music? Okay. Staring at my future like a visitor from my present past Stranded desert tight rope. Spiraling in a narrow path You watching sand slide down an hour glass. You laying, suffer, counting every hour past What didn't kill you made you tougher I could vouch for that They killed your cousin then you're planning out a counterattack If you was raised in the struggle You know how to adapt when the winds get cold And the clouds turn pitch black Forensic foul, so they die from a hair crack A savage world on not end with your throat And both wrist slashed Wrist took two before the vehicle just crashed Another murder attempt, another corner dispatch So meet me where it's cold at Where the nightmares unfold at Where the dead stairs like who cares Where white tears hold back still I gotta I thank the Lord for that but when you get a chance please come and take a glance at my life beautiful and on that <laughs> Mary Baxter alright thank Thanks, you Sherry, so much I appreciate, I appreciate it. it thank you
0: next up linking those in need with those who serve a nice healthy home like experience a group of women is offering a special Thanksgiving meal who they're hoping to empower and why coming up is Flashpoint and I'm Cherry Gregg. We here at KYW are all about community and this week it's all about the Divas Ministry Group, which is working with a number of other organizations to put on a very special Thanksgiving event. I'm here in the KYW studios with Reverend Jeanette Davis, founder of the Divas Ministry Group. Thank you so much for being here.
5: Thank you so much for
0: having me. You're having a an event. Tell me what it is.
5: So the event is a Thanksgiving fellowship dinner, and we're going to be feeding the homeless also with those who are suffering hardships this time of year. And so why did you
0: decide to put this together?
5: Uh, there are a lot of hurting people out in the community. So what we're trying to do, myself and a couple of other groups who I'll mention later, we're trying to collaborate to provide a nice, healthy, home-like experience. We have a lot of support from the city, the DA's office. They will come and the DA herself right now, Kelly Hodges, will come and she's going to help to serve and some other um, activists in the community. They'll be
0: there. So tell me about the Divas Ministry Group.
5: I'm a domestic violence survivor. I wanted to give back. When you're a survivor, when you've been abused and you have to leave your home, you leave with nothing. You have nothing. So I created these health and wellness kids to take down to some of the safe houses for the women. They contain, you know, your basic toiletries. And then I put some inspiring messages in there, uh, spiritual messages. So that's how Diva's ministry group came about. Mm -hmm. And does Diva stand for something? Yes, it does. Divinely Inspired
0: Victorious Anointed Sisters. Wow. And so you, you. Women, I know you're going to be helping single moms as well on this Thanksgiving. Does that sort of resonate and tie in with what the Divas Ministry Group does?
5: Yes, it does, because at one time I was a single mother. Mm -hmm. So it does resonate in my spirit. It also, um, I want to empower young women, single parents, uh, youth. We actually do a lot of uh, youth mentoring to the youth. It's important because we have a responsibility Um, The older generation has a responsibility to our youth to guide and direct
0: and to mentor so that they can have the best life. And part of that is fellowshipping, especially around Thanksgiving time. So give me all the details. I mean, this event is coming up. It's just a few days away. The event is scheduled for Tuesday. November
5: 21st from 5 o'clock to 8 o'clock p.m. The event will be held at the Somerset Academy, which is located at 719 Girard Avenue, Philadelphia, PA, 19123. Mm -hmm. And so people can just come out. Yes, they can. We're looking for people to come out. (laughs) And just enjoy a fellowship meal. Bring your kids. Bring your kids, bring your mom, bring your grandmother, bring a neighbor, bring someone who you don't know. Tell me what's on the menu
0: because, you know, like.
5: Oh, my goodness. Okay, so I I just want to tell you about these amazing women who have donated their time and their resources to be a part of this. Um, Miss Yummies for Your Tummies caterers, and it's also a group called the Culinary Queens Alliance. We have collaborated. Their menu is amazing. We're going to have turkey. They have a dessert table, amazing dessert table, um, sweet potato pies, uh, potato salad, mashed
0: potatoes. It's, it's, it's really an exquisite menu. Wonderful. And so what are you hoping that people leave with once the event is over?
5: Uh, I hope that people leave with a sense of unity. Um, the, part of the initiative is to connect the community With also leaders who serve in our community because uh, to serve, Mm. not yourself, to serve someone else. That's what it's all about. So I'm hoping that the community will be able to be unified. Yeah. That's what my goal is so that people who are hurting understand and know that someone cares. Someone realizes and recognizes what you're going through. And we're all in this together. Absolutely wonderful. So where can people find out more information? We have a community Facebook page called Divas Ministry Group Nonprofit Organization. We also have a website, which is at at
0: com. Thank you so much to Reverend Jeanette Davis. And Happy Thanksgiving. (laughs) That's it for the Flashpoint podcast. I hope you enjoyed this exclusive content. Follow KYW Radio on Twitter and let us know what you think by using the hashtag Flashpoint. You can also follow me at CherryGreg. You can subscribe to the show by using the Radio.com app or by visiting KYWNewsRadio.com and clicking audio. And soon you'll be able to subscribe to Flashpoint on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. If there's an issue that makes you hot under the collar, let us know and we'll walk you through the flames. As the late John F. Kennedy once said, our progress as a nation can be no quicker than our progress in education. The human mind is our fundamental resource. I'm your host, Cherry Gregg. Until next week, thanks for listening.